All righty. Chris and Billy here to talk about Uncanny X-Men number 282, a very important issue in X-Men lore because uh, it's got a first appearance coming in here, a first appearance of a pretty uh, pretty big guy to uh, kind of inform the way things go uh, throughout the 90s. Uh, looking forward to introducing him and uh, also looking forward to introducing uh, my co-host Billy. How you doing this month? I am fantastic, Chris. Uh, yeah, we're introducing a new character, and it was so awesome they made a true believer uh, issue out of it. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that is true. Absolutely. <laughs> now uh, we have uh, it's the same, you know, same art, same writing. It's it's going to be a lot of the same, but uh, we're gonna be uh, yeah, we're gonna be picking it apart maybe a little bit more than we did last time because uh, well, it lends itself to that. Uh, we're gonna find here. Uh, Marvel editorial is making no bones about how difficult this is to follow, uh, and uh, we will play along. So it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. Now <laughs> this issue is uh you know just like everything we're discussing today, cover dated November 1991. It's called Payback, plot and pencils by Will Spertasio, inks John Thibbert or Thibert. Getting third billing is uh, the scripter John Byrne, which uh, oh. uh, that's weird. Uh, <laughs> colors, Dana Morstead, uh, letters, Tom Orzakowski, edits, Bob Harris, chief, Tom DeFalco, cover price, Un Delore. And, uh, you want to, you want to start talking us into, uh, to our little synopsis here. Surely our story begins with professor X and forge playing a friendly game of chess. It's, uh, it's maybe not so friendly because like forge is using a psychic dampener because he thinks professor X is going to cheat. <laughs> <laughs> now, now Xavier knew all along because the dampener wasn't very subtle. It gave him a splitting headache. Um, but yet he is still able to beat Forge handily at, at the game. So that's, uh, that was pretty fun. Right, yeah. Uh, it's quickly interrupted, though, as the X-Men have returned from battle. Storm tosses a sentinel head to Forge, then tells them of the attack at the Hellfire Club from the previous issue. And the fact that Jean is seemingly dead. Dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, a funny little Easter egg here. Uh, when Storm chucks the uh, the Sentinel head to Forge, he, you know, he catches it. And he's standing in front of uh, Professor X's bookshelf. And uh, we can see that uh, the Professor is keeping up with the Infinity Gauntlet event. Because uh, there is an issue, a tie-in issue on his bookshelf. Uh, with uh, you got Thanos there, the little corner box saying, you know, you know, the Infinity War continues here or whatever it was. Or Infinity Gauntlet. Gauntlet continues here. I thought that was a neat little Easter egg, especially since the X-Men really didn't take part in that one. I mean, they, uh, they're they going to take part in the Infinity War, and we'll be touching on that you know, next year. But uh, nothing from the Infinity Gauntlet, really. So uh, I thought that was a pretty neat little thing to see. And it's something I didn't notice. I must have read this issue dozens of times. I didn't even notice it until just this week when I read it back this time. Um we, uh, you know, when we find out that Gene is presumed dead, uh, we get a little bit of an indication here that the wheels are already, you know, sort of off on this series. Uh, the way Storm explains it, she tells uh, the professor in Forge that uh, there was another involved, a mutant, a stranger. He did not seem to be in league with Donald Pierce. In the end, we prevailed against the Sentinels and the stranger fled, taking the Hellfire Club's White Queen with him. Now, we only mention this because it was followed by an asterisk, which usually leads to an editorial footnote, and this one is no different. The editorial footnote from Bob Harris says, Not quite what you saw last issue, but take our word for it. It's what happened. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I mean, we're two chapters in. 
to this brave new, you know, angle for the Uncanny X-Men here. And the wheels are already off here. The editors are, are making excuses for stuff we didn't see. And, uh, I mean, how hard, how hard is it? <laughs> you know, I think, uh, you know, we look at the, uh, we look at the guys who would go on to form image. Um, we look at the Liefelds and, uh, and the Lees and, and, and the Wills Potasios here. One of the common things that you'd hear about Rob Liefeld uh, from the, you know, the literati and the, the veterans of the game would say, you know, Rob became, you know, too famous too soon. You know, he was, he got too big before he got good or got great. Um, here we have Protasio, who's been given like the reins to the flagship book of the Marvel line, basically, um, the, the, the legacy, uh, the legacy book here. And he can't tell a story. Um, he can draw. Okay. I mean, the art isn't anything, it, it isn't my cup of tea, but I can certainly see the merit in it. Dude can't tell a story. Uh, and unfortunately that's what he's been tasked with. Uh, this isn't supposed to be Uncanny X-Men pinup time. This is a story. And the fact that he was not able to do it, combined with the fact that like it feels like every third page of this is a full page spread, um, really makes you wonder exactly where their heads were at. In the, I, I mean, we know it was all about the dollars, but uh, it really doesn't do the book or the... Uh, or the property, any favors here. Uh, you have any thoughts on uh, on on Wills's storytelling ability? I mean, you can really see Marvel shifting big time into the theory that art is selling books and story yeah. doesn't matter. Like big time, you don't need any more proof than these first couple of pages of this book right here. <laughs> it's insane, and because yeah. like uh, on on another show that uh, that I do, the Moratory Mondays, we do get some early, very early Wills Portacio art. Uh, he's a uh, He's usually a guest artist. Uh, he's like the regular guest artist on uh, Strike Force Moratory. And uh, you could tell he's a lot more reined in there. Uh, while it's still, you know, not great shakes or anything, the storytelling is far more solid here. Uh, there, I mean, um, where you can follow along, you know exactly what's going down. With this one, I mean, who was that? Uh, who was that writer? Was that Burroughs who like would just throw like paper? like throw words on the ground and like make like salad out of the words and just tell the story <laughs> in the direction that the words fell down. We could take almost any of these pages, chuck them on the floor and read them in any order because they're, right. they're mostly pinups. And, uh, and, and then all we'd have to worry about is getting a Bob Harris footnote next issue saying, Oh no, no, you read that in the wrong order. Don't take our word for it. This is the way it really happened. It's right. really just such a cop out. And uh, it's one of those things that make me feel like really bad for for John Byrne, which I, I don't often feel bad for John Byrne, but uh, I think uh, I think he was given a real tough road to hoe with uh, with this uh, with this mission here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't. I think John Byrne has an ego the size of Mars, but I still feel bad for him <laughs> having to put up with this crap. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's, we'll 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 put a pin in that for now, and we'll head right back into the story. Professor X claims that he would have felt her die and that her, quote, psyche survives elsewhere. Over at the residence of Shinobi Shaw, Fitzroy shows up with an unconscious Emma Frost and a sentinel that is carrying the head of Donald Pierce. Fitzroy then unceremoniously removes the ring from Shaw's finger. Mm-hmm. Complete with joints <laughs> included. <laughs> it's funny. Um, I remember growing up, 
and uh when i was reading about you know when i was learning about the x-men and uh i was like on usenet and all that stuff and someone had mentioned that uh you know the character psylocke that her name is a pun and i'm like how is her name a pun i don't understand how that could be a pun and then you see like you, you see the word psyche you know psyche psylocke key lock and then I understood exactly what these these folks on using that were talking about. I, and it, it was like one of those like moments of profundity that smacked me in the face. Um, no, into this scene, uh, this is where we get a pretty good idea of where Jean's psyche might have wound up here. Because uh, we see Emma Frost open her eyes and be like, OK, Jean, what would you just get yourself into? So uh, uh, that now we know where she is and that she is, in fact, not dead. Yeah. So back at the mansion, the team tries to piece together what exactly is going on and how to get Gene's psyche back. Forge and the professor tell the team that they'll both be joining them for this mission. And Storm and Iceman both seem thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) Storm is a little bit uh, uncomfortable here. Uh, Because, uh, you know, in a few, uh, probably about six or seven issues from now, we're going to get a handful of issues which go very, very deep into the Forge and Storm relationship. Uh, I believe there's going to be a marriage proposal even. We're going to get real deep into their life and times. We'll probably touch on things like life, death, and uh, all of their dalliances in the past. And so this right here, this little scene, this little uncomfortable moment between them is a nice little bit of foreshadowing, though with the way this book goes, I'm not convinced it's not accidental. Uh, This (laughs) might just be a very lucky break. Or maybe Burn, you know, when he got faxed the uh, faxed the art with five seconds to script it. So this is like a really like a perfect opportunity to maybe insert a little bit of character depth here, you know, where it's like, ooh, I can, you know, Will made Storm scowl a little bit. Let me make this work. And uh, I I wonder if that's what it was. But either way, this is a decent bit of foreshadowing, and it will actually lead somewhere. Yeah, any credit in this issue for something like that, I would definitely lump on John Byrne and no For sure, for sure. And unfortunately, (laughs) Byrne won't even be there to write those stories. So he's going to bail pretty quick. Uh, God bless John Byrne. Okay, meanwhile, (laughs) Fitzroy gives Bantam a tongue lashing for a minor incompetence. Then Banner remarks to himself that one day Fitzroy is going to regret opening a time portal. Yeah, because I mean... I'm not sure if we made it clear. Uh, we probably did last time, but uh, the whole thing about Fitzroy is he makes portals, you know, and uh, he's also like kind of a petulant brat and he just makes portals happen. He's like, yeah, I, I got some extra power. Boom. Here's a portal. Boom. Here's a portal. He, he doesn't care if he has the power to control them or whatever. And so Bantam, his little sidekick here, he's supposed to monitor all these open portals to make sure that, you know, things are still working. But this poor goofball can't seem to keep up with Fitzroy's irresponsible, like, willy-nilly use of his powers. Um, now, this time out, we got a pair of ne'er-do-wells attempting to exit from one of the portals, but something goes wrong and they're fused into a single being before, you know, walking through the egress. And uh, so Trevor has to put them, him, it, whatever it is, uh, out of their misery uh, when, when they get to the other side. Yeah, that's pretty disturbing, the artwork there. I mean, it's it is. like he does a good job, Portacio, there. I'll give it to him. I'll make sure. it look pretty, pretty gross. <laughs> it's very gruesome, yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, now, as the Blackbird streaks through the sky, Professor X deduces that as Jean was being struck down, she transferred her psyche to the nearest telepath, and that happened to be Emma Frost. 
Yeah, and uh, just like he mentioned earlier about, like, had Jean died, he would have felt it. He thinks similarly about Emma Frost, and she is a very powerful mutant. If she was actually dead, he would have felt it. But at the same time, he's assuming if Jean was able to occupy her body, she must be dead. So uh, we're going to get a little bit of a, you know, pseudoscience to to wipe this one away. And uh, it'll it'll all it'll all make sense in comic book terms as we move forward. Uh, Emma will become a staple uh, from this point on, uh, whether she's awake or not. <laughs> right. So inside the base, Fitzroy murders Taro by siphoning her life's energy away, which is you know how he gets the energy to open these portals that you spoke of earlier. Mm-hmm. And he uses his usual Fitzroy speak here, uh, like last time we had my dear beef. This time we have my dear Taro. I, I think he that's just how he starts every sentence. It's kind of like how I start every segment with all righty. He starts every sentence with my dear. And it's uh-huh. uh, my dear fill in the space. Uh, and like you said here, he uses this power to open yet another portal. He just can't help himself. Yeah, he's just a, a portal maniac. But then uh, he then opens a portal and three hair metal rejects pop through. Oh, yeah, this is uh, we mentioned that this is it's got some this has got a very important first appearance in it. And uh, here we are, Burke, Kroger and Styles. bag and board this sucker because uh, this is their <laughs> first appearance. And uh, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> oh, man. So before Fitzroy can yuck it up too much, Epifrost begins to levitate and tell him he is in for it. Yeah, but first uh, we have a little little uh, back and forth with Fitzroy and these uh, and these rejects here. Uh, Kroger, who I guess is like the the most powerful member here, he kind of he's like white ashen skin, like tattoos on his face, very generic, you know, interdimensional sort of character here. Uh, Fitzroy and Kroger they they don't get along, and Kroger's like, screw this, I'm going home, and he steps back through the portal, only to find out that. Nope, it's a one-way portal, <laughs> and he is, like, atomized, which was actually kind of clever, I think. Yeah, I do, too. I think it was, I mean, it looked like five minutes before this, uh, you know, Fitzroy didn't really understand how his portals work. <laughs> it's true. And now, now he does all of a sudden, but, uh, yeah, it's a neat little scene. And like you said, the guy looks like a, you know, a 90s comic reject. That's it, yeah. yeah <laughs> he, looks, he looks like he would be, like, in a lineup of, like, 700 characters in, like, a turn-of-the-century Wildstorm book. It's just, like, very, very generic, very, very basic. Yeah, so uh, Fitzroy's in shock, though, as he thought Emma was uh, only a telepath. As uh, she's handling the henchmen, Fitzroy feels a huge tremor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Archangel and Colossus then smash through the ceiling and the brawl is on. They both immediately begin beating the crap out of Fitzroy's goons and the man himself is frozen with disbelief. He then attempts to sick his sentinels on the X-Men, but this time they're ready. The team is holding their own, but then Fitzroy summons his henchmen from the future. Yeah, and I mean, these these characters make Kroger, Styles and the other guy look interesting. Um <laughs> This just looks like a slew of Morlocks from the future, and I hate the Morlocks, and I think these are probably even, like, less than half interesting than they are. This is, uh, uh, I think last month we had, like, Doctor Strange open a portal in Alpha Flight where just, like, these generic beasties came out, and this is just more of the same here. It's uh, just not not anything really to write home about or even talk about as much as I even am right now, but... uh. It's a, yeah, just what it is. 
Yeah, it looks like a bunch of dudes from like a punk club in like the early 80s come flying yeah. through here. Like, you know, they're very all like just some bright colors, but they, when you boil it down, they're all very generic and look the same. Totally. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so as the bestial servants of Fitzroy begin to flood the base, it looks like the X Men are going to be overwhelmed. Before Fitzroy can celebrate, though, he's accosted by three lawmen from the portal, and one of them is named Bishop. There he is. There we Bishop. go. So one of the first new, I think the first new character that we're getting from the, uh, you know, post Claremont run here. And uh, he will be, you know, he'll be a mainstay. He's going to be one of the top guys uh, going forward. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting how on the cover, I mean, he, he is the cover. You know, the cover is all about how, you know, here's Bishop and nothing will ever be the same. And uh, they save it for the like the cliffhanger, um, which... I don't know. It just seems kind of silly. It seems kind of, uh, I mean, they're trying to sell books clearly, but as a, as a storytelling sort of a conceit, it, it is kind of weird to save it to the very end here. And then also treat it like it's a huge surprise when, uh, when he is just, he is the cover. Yeah. That makes absolutely no sense. Cover. And then surprise. It's like, no, there, <laughs> there is no surprise dummies. You put it on the cover. So another <laughs> lovely editorial decision there. <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, that uh, Grant Morrison Doom Force, if you remember that, where he uh, okay, yeah. where he he wrapped up his Doom Patrol and then did this this special called Doom Force, which was a play on X Force. Mm-hmm. It was a uh, very Liefeldian. It was very um, very you know cliche you know LOL 90s comics. And uh, on the cover, it's like there's like a giant arrow that says one of these one of these people will die, and it's pointing directly to the person that's going to die. <laughs> it's like it's so it's like it, it is very very 90s and right here it's like what's the shocking cliffhanger it's like well maybe it's the guy on the cover <laughs> you know? yeah really <laughs> do you have yeah, any uh, crazy do you have any uh bishop memories before we actually get to know him you know not a ton i did mm-hmm. enjoy the character overall i think mm-hmm. as the years went by they just didn't know what to do with him You know, so maybe like mid 2000s, late 2000s. I think that's when they had that one story, wasn't it, where Cable was trying to protect that little girl that was born. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the bishop was after her and this and that. So I just I just felt like he was in limbo for a while. And then they thought, well, we have this guy here. Let's try to make him a big deal. And it just I don't know. I don't think he's ever been handled anywhere near as well as he probably could have been. I think you're right, because I, I think, you know, around the around the turn of the century, as much as we don't want to admit it, I think we all got this like thing in our heads where we were too smart for 90s comics. Like we, we like really the pendulum swung maybe a little bit too far to where like so many of the 90s conceits and stuff were just dismissed as being silly and dumb. And, uh, you know, characters like Cable were just like shunted to the back and Bishop was just like kind of like you said, lost in limbo. Mm-hmm. Um uh, even even Deadpool waned uh, in a, for a while there. It was just like, oh, that's oh, yeah. a 90s thing. Gambit disappeared for a while. It was just like we were very much against uh, what we what we saw in the 90s for whatever reason. Yeah. And uh, and Bishop is one of those characters that never really rebounded from that. Uh, 
because he they they turned him into a police officer. He was like he was like on the beat in Mutant Town during like the Morrison run where the there was the big population boom. Mm-hmm. So that was semi interesting, but totally out of the element of what we would expect from Bishop in the nineties. And then, like you said, uh, you know, the first mutant baby after No More Mutants is born and Bishop wants to kill it. So <laughs> him and Cable go bebopping through time and uh, and they are at odds as the, you know, the two early 90s time traveling characters. And, uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't even tell you what Bishop's up to right now. I'm sure he's probably on whatever island they're on on Dawn of X, the Krakoa Island, uh, doing something. I just couldn't tell you what. Uh and it's it's too bad because he was a he was a huge part of like the seminal days of my fandom and uh, uh, as such I will always sort of attribute a a value to his character and uh, and and it just it just never really seemed to meet its uh, meet its uh, potential uh, maybe is is what I'm trying to say but uh, I'm I'm happy to finally have him here I, I wish it was for a little bit more than one page and a cover <laughs> but uh, we will learn a ton more about bishop moving forward here um the upstarts we have a little bit of the upstarts here uh as i mentioned before they are a definite missed opportunity in my opinion um i could have done with more of this going through the 90s where you just have this underground organization trying to pick off mutants for points and uh, it's too bad that it, it never really worked out because you know, they I, I, maybe Marvel was just scared to kill mutants, even though they, they're they killing Hellions here by the dozen. Um, and I, in a couple of years, we'll have like the legacy virus. So they they kind of they kind of sacrificed mutants to the legacy virus rather than something like the upstarts, which I guess I, I can understand. But uh, a, a missed opportunity. I, I, I think I like the way this was going. What do, what do you do? You have any more thoughts? Uh, two issues in for the upstarts? Yeah, like you said, I mean, it, it seems like it was something that was a good idea, but just mm. the handling of it, I don't know, if, yeah. you know, the creators behind it just never really were behind it 100%. So they just kind of always had it as something, you know, in the background or something they dig up every once in a while. But it yeah. definitely wasn't something that they were into 100%. Like, yeah, let's make a big deal out of this. Because like you said, it's very spotty where you see these people, especially together as that group. Sure. Yeah, they forward. did not. Yeah. yeah, they did not stick the landing, unfortunately, and and they also never really gave them a proper, you know, exit. It was just something that withered and and just faded, unfortunately. Yeah. So for all we know, they're they're still at it, just not very successful, <laughs> even <laughs> to this very day. Um, but yeah, that was uh, not a not not it was kind of a mess, but at the same time, I enjoyed it. This issue, um, Fitzroy is like comedically. Uh, uh, you know, irritating, which it makes for a, an okay character. It's someone you, it, he doesn't have like go away heat. He's got like the kind of heat where you do want to see someone punch his face in. He is, uh, he is definitely the Fabian Cortez of this book. You just uh, love to hate him. Um, and we are getting a little bit more about his character here in that he is uh, <clears throat> very irresponsible and uh, he blames everyone else for his failures and uh, that's going to become very clear in a few months because we will learn a lot more about Fitzroy uh before they decide to push him to the back burner for quite a while but uh do you have any uh, more thoughts on uh, on this uh, very important issue in X-Men history yeah i mean like we said just definitely better than the previous issue for sure yeah. uh the art is still pedestrian at best most of sure. the time 
Um, but I did like the way the book started out. That was a nice scene. You know, you don't have a lot of these kind of scenes as, you know, the 90s wore on where it was the, the chess game between Forge mm-hmm. and the professor there. That was a nice touch. I did like that a lot. Um, it's true. I feel like those moments are sparse and yeah, get more and, sparse going forward. But yeah, and definitely all, when they do happen, the, yeah, when they do happen, they're always handled very well. So, yeah, they are they are definitely a treat. Those little, you know, sitting you know just at home sort of scenes are, are a lot of fun and like you said they they're, they're not going to be too frequent but they, they will happen and each time because uh, i think the two biggies that i'm thinking about uh we'll be talking about on this segment uh, uh not you know not soon but also not too far into the future uh yeah. we'll have uh the the down home issues uh, that scott lobdell would sometimes pepper in after a big event or leading into a big event so those will be fun to discuss when we get there but, uh, yeah, that is Uncanny X-Men 282. But uh, before I let you go, and uh, this is the second time I'm explaining this, so we're going to take a page out of, of the Moratory Monday playbook and uh, a page out of Marvel history, as a matter of fact. Uh, back in the day, they had something called the Bullpen Bulletins page, wherein they would have, you know, bulletins, news items, uh, solicitations, uh, previews, also something called the profile, where they would ask a bunch of silly questions to Marvel staffers, editorial, all sorts of folks, and uh, the results were uh, usually uninteresting. But I thought it might be a fun thing to do here to put all of the co-hosts through what I'm calling the pod file, and I'm going to ask the same litany of silly questions that Marvel asked their editors Way back in the long ago. So if you are ready, we're going to hop right into the pod file. What do you, what do you say? Fire away. <laughs> All righty. So who are you? What's your gig? Where does your stuff show up? Uh, blog, magazines, and monsters.com. And then I do a little podcasting on the site also. Uh, co-host of Into the Weird uh, with my buddy Herman. And uh, all things Marvel crazy and Bronze Age there. So that's where I... Uh, haunt uh, when i'm not uh, hanging out with you <laughs> very cool very cool now do you have any work that maybe you used to do and don't do anymore or maybe used to do and don't do so much anymore yeah i mean before i started blogging uh i used to write for a couple of different you know websites with like news and columns and all that kind of jazz <laughs> uh the biggest one and they're still chugging along is uh, comicattack.net. a lot of good mm-hmm. people over there real good people over there so they're still chugging along but just man i'm not one for deadlines you know you and i talked about this <laughs> <laughs> off mic before i'm like the procrastinator supreme so i was just like eh, i think i'll float to uh, doing my own thing so i'm not uh holding anybody up for editing and publishing and all that stuff so but yeah good people are very cool very cool what would you say are some of your hobbies uh i literally have two hobbies and obviously (laughs) one is (laughs) comics big surprise there and then i love uh horror sci-fi from 50s 60s a little bit of 70s but yeah love that stuff any particular favorites uh for the uh, for the for the horror and sci-fi yeah, so I am a huge Hammer Films studio uh, fan. So, you know, the Christopher Lee, the Peter Cushing, those guys love okay. the movies they made, especially together. Love, mm-hmm. love, love those. Those are obviously, you know, my favorites and a lot of people's favorites, but I, I love those two actors. Love them. Very cool, very cool. Now, you've made a lot of content for the Internet. Is there anything in particular that you would cite as being the work you're most proud of? Oh, yeah, that's easy. That is definitely something I published anything and everything i've published that doesn't have a spelling or grammatical error 
<laughs> I, I don't think I've ever done one of those. <laughs> I might have one. So, hey, woo, there it is. <laughs> you got me beat. <laughs> what would you say are some of your pet peeves? Um, definitely uh, people that assume. So don't assume, people. Don't do that. Don't assume anything ever. Yes, I'm I'm with you there. I'm definitely with you there. Yeah, don't assume uh, I'm some dorky white guy wearing glasses that's balding in a basement right now. Don't assume that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Where, where were you born? Uh, in a hospital. <laughs> Not on the kitchen table. That's good. That's nope. Good. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Now, what would you say is your greatest achievement outside of creating content for the Internet? Wow. Um, well, I could say creating two children, which was awesome, but there's even something <laughs> bigger than that. I actually hold on to your seats. I actually walked a 5K once. So if really? you can believe that. Yeah, if you can believe that achievement. <laughs> How about that? Very know, cool. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What would you say is your oddest habit? Oh, boy. Um, oh, hey, I don't know if I want to say this with, you know, the coronavirus running rampant, but I am a fingernail biter. OK. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Just as long as the fingernails are clean, it should be OK. Yes, I'll, I'll clean them. I'm going to clean them as soon as we stop podcasting here because I'm nervous now. 20 seconds under the hot water and then you, then you can chew don't, away. Don't shake uh, my hand. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is one of the questions that I, I've been looking forward to asking most of all for everybody involved here because uh, it's it's probably the dumbest, but it's also kind of the kind of the coolest. Uh, if there was a movie made about your life, who would play you? Wow. Uh in lieu of trying to think of somebody really super cool or something funny, I'll go straight and say mm. the guy, I can't remember the actor's name, but he was the guy in that prison movie with Morgan Freeman. Uh, that was like the head, the lead character. Oh, crap. What was the name of that movie? Morgan uh, Freeman and this guy were in that movie in prison. Together. Yeah, yeah, that guy. What's that guy's name? Uh the main guy is bah, 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 bah. you're asking the wrong guy tim robbins tim robbins yeah give me tim robbins there you go you got tim robbins i'm, I'm hoping to like put together like a poster with everybody's actor on it <laughs> just to see what the uh, the movie of this show would be oh, that would um, be good <laughs> now here's a here's a uh, here's a loaded question why comics uh i would say for me comics are all about escapism they're, they're not about reality. They're not rooted in reality. They're not about, you know, uh, current events. It's to me, it's an escapism for sure. That's it's all in that one word. Very cool. Very cool. Now, what did uh, what did people in high school think about you? Uh, that I was a complete goofball. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, a maniac, a goofball. Yeah, for sure. And any, they weren't wrong. I was going to say any any uh, examples you want to uh, give us? Uh, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll keep that to myself. But uh, it's, it's suffice to say, here's here's a short little story where mm -hmm. I got in trouble once, went to the principal's office and he told me I was the ringleader of the bad kids. So I was like, no, oh, thank you very much, sir. But yeah. of course, I don't feel that way now. But I did back then. Did he did he give you like were you wearing a hat with like a spinning dial on it to uh, 
You got everyone under your control. The bad no, kids. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. That was that was quite the compliment. I was like, oh, thank you, sir. <laughs> no. <laughs> Who would you cite as your favorite performers? Boy, perform performers. That's a, a very wide broad. genre there. So yeah, anything well, you want. Yeah. <clears throat> um, anything and everything you want to sh- you want to share. Yeah, geez, I wish I knew the name of a famous circus performer here to to spell out off if those are still <laughs> even a thing, but. Uh, because, yeah, musical performers, most of the ones I'm into are either dead or retired. Uh, they still count. Oh, okay. Well, if that still counts, then give me uh, Led Zeppelin. There you go. Now, uh, here's uh, one of the questions we have a lot of fun with on Moratory Mondays. Uh, what's the last good book you did or didn't read? Didn't read or did read? Wowzers. Um, <laughs> well, because yeah, the thing, the thing in, on Moratory Mondays, the Marvel editors will always answer with this like really pretentious book uh, that oh, I think they right. want you to think they read, but, but like they really didn't. Of course. I mean, it's like it's like an 800 page book. You did the last thing you read was like Marvel Age. Come on. Right. It's okay. A... <laughs> so I'll say the last thing I did or, you know, wink, wink, didn't read was War and Peace. So how about yeah, yeah. that? That is very, very good. Very good. <laughs> uh, that's one of my favorite books not to read, too. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was the last good movie you saw? Oh, boy. Uh, well, good for me is subjective. It means it wasn't Certainly. terrible, but it wasn't great. So I will say the last good movie I saw. And I'm going to roll with in a theater, uh, I would say, is Infinity War. I thought that was good. Not great, not terrible, but good. Okay. So follow up. What's the last great movie you saw? Jeez uh, Louise. I can't even remember the last great movie I saw in a movie theater. One of my favorite <laughs> movies of all time, though, is Jaws. To me, that's okay. a great movie. So I'll very say that. Very cool. Okay. Very good. Very good. Now, who or what would you say is uh, the biggest influence on you creating content for the Internet? Wow. That's interesting. Uh, this, is the, per- this is Go the ahead. question that they would ask the Marvel staffers, and all of them would say Stanley. You know, oh, cause they wow. Have to. So, uh, <laughs> okay, I'll say Jack Kirby then, because that'll... <laughs> <laughs> That'll really get, you know, ruffle some feathers or, you know, there's a crowd cheering on the other side of the fence now, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> now, what would you say is the your greatest unfulfilled ambition in creating content for the Internet? OK, so that's easy. That is there are a very few number of people that I want to interview, like, you know, podcast live whatever i can do but i actually want to talk you know i've done some you know back and forth through email and stuff like that with some creators but i actually want to have some on a podcast and talk to them right there live and you know talk about all the stuff that you know the 1970s especially were all about like marijuana and mushrooms and all that stuff man that's what i want to get down i want to get down to the nitty-gritty and talk to some creators from that area about all that stuff any names Oh, Steve Englehart for sure is at the top of that list. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, Frank Brunner. Yeah, man, all those very guys. Cool. Like, yeah, if I could talk to them. Starlin. Oh. <laughs> very, very cool. Um, they're probably a lot closer than you think. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> now, uh, what would you say is the worst part of creating content for the Internet? Uh, deadlines. Okay. <laughs> especially when you're a procrastinator like wanting a thing to fire off on a specific day oh, sure. deadlines Ugh. they can creep up on you for sure mm-hmm. um when nobody's looking what do you do 
I make faces at them behind their back. There you go. There you go. <laughs> that's that's, that's a good, good, honest answer. Right? <laughs> now, uh, in light of all the questions we asked and all the stuff we learned about you last time, is there anything we haven't covered that you think the people ought to know about you? For sure. I sound, when I'm podcasting a lot, like I'm an old curmudgeon, but I'm really a nice guy. It's true. There you go. There you go. <laughs> And, and I got I still got to figure out what uh, what line of uh, questioning and, and inquisition I'm going to put everybody through for the next episode of the show. So, oh, boy, we never know. I mean, there there are there are a lot of questions around. So we'll, we'll see what we can figure out. But uh, I thank you for your time and I thank you for answering the question so candidly and discussing or hanging out with me to discuss the introduction of the very brief introduction of Bishop. Uh, <laughs> but uh, unless you have anything else you want to uh, tell the folks, uh, we're going to shift it over to X Factor. No, I'm good to go, man. Thanks for having me, Chris. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, and uh, we will talk to you again next time. Now, X Factor. I hope you're into <sighs> recycling. New place to run. New place to run. New place to run.